Welcome to Business Talk with Henrietta. This is the place where we speak with the most up-and-coming entrepreneurs to figure out how they've built the life of their dreams. And today I'm in Brooklyn in Dumbo uh, to talk with Christina Lisekring Simonsen. She is the founder of Female Founder House in New York, a founder and creator director of the Velocity Squad agency and also an angel investor. Before she delved into entrepreneurship and worked as a junior partner in McKinsey, she yeah, went into entrepreneurship and her experience is also from consulting, right? She is a powerhouse and she's originally from Denmark, but now she lives in New York in the US and she has a passion for establishing impactful brands and businesses and has a lot of experience within femtech, health tech, consumer and tech and financial services. Christina is committed to empower female founders and investors as she goes in as a for, as a as a role model uh, for a lot of women having a dream of taking over the world and making a great impact. And today I want to speak to you about your founder story. How do you become an angel investor in New York City? What is it like to be you in your life and what is your best advice for other founders and other aspiring ambitious women. Welcome to Business Talk, Christina. Thank you, Henrietta. It's really nice to be here. Yeah, it's such a lovely place. We're sitting here. We're looking out on Brooklyn Bridge and the skyline of Manhattan. Uh, it is such a lovely day. The temperature is a bit lower and yeah, we're ready to do a podcast. Absolutely happy, happy to help in any way I can. Yeah. yeah. So tell me about your story. How did you become the person you are today? Oh, that's quite that's quite the story, right? Um, so I actually grew up in Aarhus in Denmark yes. and trained as a professional musician. So I came from a family of mainly creatives, um, and um, and sort of along the way, when I was around sixteen, decided it wasn't the path for me and jumped ship and went to Copenhagen and and studied at CPS. Studied at CPS, um, then. Um, for some reason, I sort of ended up from the most creative background into structured finance and ended up in Goldman Sachs doing an internship, which I absolutely hated. But despite okay. of that, ended up doing one year in banking with Barclays Capital in London mm. um, and then ended up in McKinsey. Yes. So, so that was sort of my career journey, right? And I think from the get-go in McKinsey, also having been raised by two entrepreneurs, I, I felt the strategic focus was a little bit limiting. And when I was looking at the clients we were serving and the problems we were solving, I didn't sort of get the sense that we were really building companies or helping them build the capabilities they needed. Mm -hmm. So that's how I ended up getting involved and in sort of co, what can I say, co-launching and incubating McKinsey's digital venture business, which mm -hmm. is called Leap today. That's true. Yeah. So, uh, so I sort of, that's when I started working in the entrepreneurial space. So what I'd, we were trying to do at that time was to find a way to help big companies, um, invest into new innovation and disrupt themselves before ultimately someone else would come and disrupt them. So I did that for about, I would say five years or so, came to New York, moved to the New York office from Copenhagen in 2015. And, um, in 2018, I thought it was sort of time to go out and start my own entrepreneurial journey. Uh, I think at that time I had been involved in about 
maybe 10 corporate startups around different industries and ultimately didn't feel like I had enough authenticity and credibility to keep on advising in that space without having the courage to go and do something on my own. Mm -hmm. So that's how I became a founder. Yeah. I'd like to say that it was, you know, a very well thought through decision. Um, it sort of happened almost by, by coincidence, right? So I, I spent half a year renovating a property when I quit McKinsey to try to figure out what I wanted to do next because mm -hmm. I didn't want to jump in and take a job that was similar. Um, and really, I signed my contract three years before I, I stopped studying. So I always knew what I was doing okay. next. So this yeah. was the first time in my life where I just took a breather and said, okay, so what do I actually want to do? Yeah. At the end of those six months, the renovation bill hit me, which was huge, right? Um, and I wasn't getting paid anymore. So I was like, okay, I think it's time to do something. Yeah. And that was how Velocity Squad was born at that time for so the agency that I started. And it came from a pain point that I had worked with a lot in the McKinsey days, which was that when I went into these corporate ventures and startups, I felt there was a lot of great strategic thinking happening. There was also a lot of great creative talent, but those two, two were just not really intertwined or connected. So what often happened was that the strategy stayed on a piece of paper because mm. people didn't understand and didn't buy into what we wanted to build, mm. especially when you're trying to disrupt an industry. Mm. And the creative work that was being done had a zero sort of relationship with the strategy. So that was more just for the sake of the creative work itself. So it was a lot of money being lost in exactly. that investment. Yeah, yeah. So that's what we set out to help with when I launched that about yeah. five years ago. So you're helping other companies with their strategies um, we do all the all the creative work, all the strategy shaping and all the creative work to help launch new brands into markets, sort of in a more disruptive space. Um, and that was at the same time I started working with female founders and got that passion yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, you have this passion for female founders and you've started Female Founders House here in New York. So tell us about that journey, starting Female yeah. Founder. You started it last year, actually one year. Ago. The one year ago, yeah, we June, just had an June 2022, right? Yes, exactly. So why yes. did you start Female Founder House? I think it was a very lonely upbringing coming up in consulting and banking as a woman. And I was very involved in any sort of female initiatives at that, that point as well. And I honestly came out of a personal pain point, which was that I felt quite lonely. I started doing investing, but I felt that I was the only one at the table, also in the angel community. Um, I spent some time in London during the pandemic and when the sort of everything was starting to normalize a little bit, I came back and to spend my sort of physical time here full time in New York City. And I just couldn't find a community of female founders that I related to and that I thought was truly about a sense of connection. Um, the reason I say that is because I think especially at early stages, when you're incubating a new business, you need people who truly believe in who you are. Yeah. And I think that only comes when there's a sense of authentic connection, mm -hmm. which I think is very hard to create when you have a very corporate type of approach to networking, which exactly. is what the majority of networking that happens yeah, is yeah. very corporate in its nature. Yeah. So that's how it came about. So it's sort of like a, you know, a bunch of ideas written down on a piece of paper. And then one day I ran into uh, the woman who heads up all the new Soho Works locations under Soho House, and they were trying to rebrand into entrepreneurial space. And then we sat down and I said, why don't we co-launch? Um, and you guys give us access to your membership base and, uh, and we launch it with you. And, uh, and then we test and see if it has legs and if anyone is even interested in this thing. And then how has it gone? Like how, how has it been this year? Has it worked or not? I think it's worked, right? So naturally has its limitations because I do it part-time yeah 
um, and and I haven't sort of jumped into it full time yet, mm-hmm. which I might do uh, at some point. But um, it's grown really really fast, right? So a couple of metrics. So we do right now about eight events a year. Yeah. We do them all in partnerships. So we do something called Female Founder Talks. That's a collaboration with Soho House and Soho Works. It's more of a founder-focused, skill-building type of format. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also do Creators Table, which is where we curate investors together with select female founders that are currently fundraising and helping them really sort of find those partners. Ah, cool. Um, and those we do in collaboration with different venues around New York. The latest one we did at Gospel, which is an underground nightclub yeah, down in Soho. I've been there. Oh, you've been to Gospel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think this time more like a nightclub. It or is, you can it use is. it as an event space as well. Yeah. It is, it is. But I think the entire vision was to stay out of corporate space and out of corporate offices yeah. and create sort of, you know, something a little bit more immersive and And, and more that's fun. how you build the authentic connections. Yeah. Yeah, to bring people into an environment where they feel like they can show up as who they are and mm-hmm. not who they think they have to mm-hmm. be. I think we found, and I found talking on both sides of the spectrum, investors and female founders, a lot of people feel like they have to take on a different personality when they go. Uh, which is a shame because you're really trying to find people that resonate with your vision and what you're trying to do. So you should just show up as you. Yeah. So I think in many ways, we also got inspired a little bit by Burning Man because we all go, right? And we spent that time in the desert and there you're not allowed to have any kind of business related talk. Um, So I remember sitting in the desert last year thinking, it's such a shame that there's not a place where you have the authentic connection and Mm. the freedom of being who you are, but at Mm. the same time, you can work on the problems that matter to you Mm -hmm. and the businesses Mm -hmm. that matter to you. So that's what we're trying to create. Mm -hmm. Um, So to answer your question around how is it going, I mean, we've grown to about 400 female founders in New York now that are associated with us. Um, We're about to launch by the end of the year um, an official membership model. So we've been sort of building it incrementally. We have about 100 to 150 participants every time we we launch anything and it usually sells out within 24 hours. So there's definitely a huge demand. Yes. Right? Um, and now we're, we're sort of at, we feel like we have, there's a market need. We found an early product market fit. Now we're really sort of tra- starting to hone in on, is there any industries, what kind of founders do we really want to target in the mm-hmm. female space? Because there's a lot more to choose from here than I think maybe in Scandinavia. Right? I can notice this, like I've been here for one week now and I'm here scouting for female founders to interview in my podcast. And there is such a big range. You have tech founders and you have also, uh, I see a lot of female founders, especially here in New York, who own brands or create their own brands or, you know, kind of sell stuff that are made by women for women, yeah. maybe jewelry, maybe, you know. So how would you say your experience about this, like female founders in New York, is there more, like what is the range? Are there more tech female founders here or or like brand founders? What would you say? I mean, I can speak from the experience of our network, right? I think it's, um, it's still an underrepresentation in the tech space and more yeah. of the scalable business models. Yes. Um, but I am also seeing that slowly changing, right? Yeah. But I mean, if you look at the data, right, I think it's quite astonishing that I think 2021 versus 2022, the amount of funding that went to female founders in the U.S. actually dropped below 2%. Yes, right? so I know. It's already sad and now it's even sadder. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 so the problem is most of the businesses that get that kind of funding are very tech based and very, what can you say, like they need to scale, right? They need to meet, meet the, the RI targets of, of a fund, right? Yeah. And there's just not a lot of those yet in the early pipeline. So to answer your question, there is not that, you know, a big of a concentration of female founders that are in the very scalable sort of investment ready space. Yes, because you're also an investor, right? Yes. You've done some angel invest- investments. 
Yes. Tell us about that. What do you look for when you are investing? Have you only invested in female founders? Or what are you what are you investing in? What do you yeah. look for? Right? Yeah. I mean I started in more of the underrepresented founder space. So yeah. I have made a few investments that were where there were, you know, a mix of genders yeah. in um, in the founder team. I very quickly found out that I wanted to have as a smaller angel investor, I wanted to have a bit of a more narrow focus, mm -hmm. right, to understand and, and the community and get the good deals and sort of meet the founders. I have a personal passion for holistic health and wellness. Uh, it's something ever since my McKinsey career, I've struggled to balance my health with my work Yeah, life because you're probably worth a lot, right? I heard this rumor that if you're working for McKinsey, you're working 100 hours a week. Did you do this or? Um, not towards the end, no? but I definitely worked a lot in the early years. Yeah, yeah. and how um, did you balance? Yeah, how did you find your balance? There. So I want, I wish I could say that it was something I, I found just because I was being sensible, but I actually got very, very sick. So when I moved to New York in 2015, six months later, um, I got the uh, sort of out of nowhere an, up, an abnormal smear test, right? Which you probably what is know. That? So it's the check for cervical cancer cells, right? So I was sort of just borderline entering into cancer stage. So after those six months, I had to basically get, you know, get a procedure. I had to go out from work for three months. And I remember the doctor said, just remember, no stress. <laughs> yeah. I was like, how does that work? How does that work? <laughs> with this, you know, so I really tried to balance. And, and that was when I started making different career decisions in yes. my life. So I moved at that time from the more traditional path in McKinsey to what was called McKinsey Digital Labs. So that was where the software engineers and all the, what can you say, product teams sat, okay. right? Okay. At that time, it was a little bit, had a little bit more of a balanced view on lifestyle. Yeah. Um, it's now merged into one thing, so now I think it's a little different. Um, but yeah. at that time, it was the attacker piece within McKinsey that was mm -hmm. sort of building that up. So I moved there and took a little bit of a different role. Yeah. Um, and that helped me a lot. And then within that, I became very specialized in the field that I worked in. So in digital startup space, right? And 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 venture building on the corporate side. So mm -hmm. it allowed you to have a little bit more of an expert role in the work that you did mm -hmm. rather than um, than having a more traditional sales client relating role. Yeah, but I guess this is kind of normal, right? When you come out of CBS, you are done with your education. You start as a consultant for one of the, you know, BCG, McKinsey or PVC, you know, and then you start as a generic in a generic role where you work with everything and nothing. But then you got into the more expert role. So you, you cannot, I don't think, can you skip that part of going into that really stressful work hard period of your life when you're in your twenties and then become an expert? You can, you cannot really skip that part, right? So what's, what's your thoughts about this? It's a really good question, right? Because I, I love my life the way it is now, but it also came because I sacrificed a lot when I was younger, right? And luckily I, you know, in many ways, luckily, I got sick when I was 32 years old. So mm -hmm. I got to take a break and look at how do I want my life to look like yeah. going forward. Otherwise, I'm pretty sure I would have been living the same life today as I did when I was like in my late 20s. Yeah. Um, which was pretty much just work. <laughs> pretty much just work. Pretty much just work. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely mostly work. Um, but also New York has a culture that's also very work focused, right? So I yes. also lived in L.A. or I spent some time in L.A. for a stint. Mm. And, uh, and that was too slow for me. So I'm, I'm still struggling. It's still like, you know, a, a, like an eternal battle to figure out like what is the right pace and when yeah. do you say no? And I think the key skill to building anything in New York is to learn how to say no. Exactly. Because New York has a 10 
thousand things happening at every point in time and you'll get an invite like on any day there will be 10 15 networking events to choose from and you just gotta learn what to say now exactly so can you tell us how do you find your balance now how do you feel how do you feel right now how old are you now if am i allowed no, to of ask course, of course. and how is your regular day how is a day in your life right now so I'm 37. I just turned 37 in January Congrats. and also actually got engaged four weeks ago. So that's Congratulations. Also, so growing up so fast. I think my parents, my, my younger sister has a kid and lives in Denmark already. So I think they've just been sort of waiting at home, right? Yeah. For, for me to grow up. Um, it's a uh, I don't, regular have, day. I don't have any regular day. No. So I don't have that, uh, that sense. I sometimes... Some days I literally spent the entire day in nature coming up with ideas and, and making music and art. And I do that probably one day a week where I fully just do that and I don't deal with anything that sort of gets into my creative space. Mm -hmm. And then I have typically two to three days that are more hardcore work focused. Right now I'm doing, um, I have a fractional role that I'm working on for a company in Williamsburg and I'm helping them on their growth strategy and, and sort of what yeah. they do on that side. So I spend a couple of days with them and, and the founder team there a week. So there I'm actually in an office, which I haven't been in really since I left McKinsey in 2018. Oh so, yeah. And I guess even then you weren't really in an office. So it's definitely different. And then at least one day, day a week, it's more of a day where I meet with founders and I look at female founder house and I look at that entire ecosystem, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's typically how my work week looks like. I work at four day work week, yeah. I guess because of that one nature day. Um, and that works really well for me right now. Yeah. yeah. So really, yeah. And, and talking about your creative side, because right before we started this podcast, I heard that you are going to Burning Man and you are a DJ. So you and your coming uh, husband, You're DJs, both of you. So tell us about that. How did you go into DJing? Have you always done this or what? No, I want to start by giving Sam the credit because Sam has been DJing for 20 years. Sam, you're, you're yeah, fiance. My, my other half, yeah. So he also does um, underground events and music in New mm -hmm. York, right? So so that's sort of, it was kind of his thing, right? So we met at Burning Man last year, actually. Ah, in the last desert. year? Last year, yeah. <laughs> it's been really fast. I think it fast tracks it when you're sitting in a desert with somebody. But uh, yeah, he's amazing. But... I come from a musical background, right? Yeah. So I thought it was pretty natural when I got into that environment. I'm, I'm very new. I started last year, but because I have so much musical background, it was such a nice way to merge two hobbies together, mm -hmm, right? So mm -hmm. now we can play together. We can explore a joint passion coming from two very different sides, which I really love. So now my, my apartment has turned into like, you know, the guest room is now a sound studio. Oh, wow. Uh, in progress, right? So it's definitely changed a lot. And I have I love a it. friend that would love to meet you. Yeah. She also wants to become a DJ. How do you become a DJ if you want to? I think it's that's branding, right? So I think yeah. it's like with everything else in life, you have to be very conscious. You have to work on your music. You have to work on your brand. And then it's PR, right? Yes. Like it's really getting in, like getting on people's nerves until they give you the chances so you can start building up a following. And ultimately, most places are looking for DJs with a following because they bring the ticket sales, right? So yes. that's where you need to position yourself. So it's not always, sadly, also like with pop music, it's not always about who's the best musician or the best DJ. It's more about who's the best promoter of themselves, right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it depends what you want to be. I mean, what is a DJ? If you want to be someone that's known as a DJ, yes. that's tricky, right? It's very competitive. Very competitive. And let's talk about that. Like here in New York, there's such a competitive environment and also in entrepreneurship and branding and who can get their names on the big headlines and how can you kind of get that traction from both customers but also interest from people outside how do you how would you say how should you go out and brand yourself self if you want to 
start a company? I think everybody is a little different. The best advice I always give to people is to do it in a way that feels authentic to who you are. Yeah. And I, I know agree that's a that. very, it's a very generic, um, generic advice, but the reality mm -hmm. is if you're an incredibly, let's say, science focused and more introvert type of personality, what's going to work for you is going to be very different than someone who's incredibly extroverted, maybe with a PR type of background, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, um, but I would say one of the general trends I'm seeing is that knowledge is power. So you need to establish yourself as a leading voice within the area where you want to be seen. Yes, yes. And uh, and there's various different ways you can do that, right? Mm. I think LinkedIn is an amazing tool. Yeah. It's about consistency. I think most people lose the consistency of yeah. it and it just takes time and consistency. Yeah. Which I think is the two things that people don't have in this uh, in our generation. <laughs> uh, so that's one thing where I've seen be, people be very successful. Um, the other way is where I see really well-funded startups is they pay for PR. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's they basically hire somebody to make sure you get you get um, the show time. I think there is a good balance there, right? So you need both need the the branding where you're stay, sticking with your strategy, you're being authentic to yourself, you're you're talking from your heart, and you're being uh, consistent with it, but also trying to make someone help you because you cannot do everything alone, right? It's very hard, alone. Yeah. very hard. You need to team up with the best people. So do you work alone or do you have someone on your team with Female Founder House? So what's your... So we do. I do have um, like a handful of amazing women or girls, I want to say, are in, that are a little bit more Gen Z and a little bit more hip than I am, that are helping <laughs> set the pulse on where we're going. But the model that I work with is also we do, we have a very heavy partnership related model. So almost every event we do is driven by the community itself. Yeah. So. So I pair up with the founders that we're putting in the spotlight and mm -hmm. the people who go in on that topic and they help shape the agenda and they mm -hmm. help figure out what they want to do. Because for me, ultimately, the success of what we're trying to do is about activating the female founder community, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's not about us sitting in isolation and doing a bunch of things that people kind of reluctantly lean into. Exactly. So I, I really try to co-create with the female founder community that we're, that we're attracting. What was your dream when you was a child? What was your childhood dream? Or do you feel like do you feel like you are living the dream now? Or good question. Um, what was my? I just love to build things. Like yeah. I think I had a lot of different dreams. My dad was an architect, and I think for many years I wanted to be an architect that built things that enabled people to live their lives inside of it. Um, I think later I was excited about building financial products, but really what I'm excited about is building ideas that mm -hmm. are challenging how we do things today. Mm -hmm. So. I do get to do that in my life today in various different roles, um, both as an investor, as an advisor, but also in um, in my own business, right? So I do enjoy it. Um, sometimes I do, you know, there's always a sense of FOMO and wanting something different. Yeah. But um, but sort of overall, I pretty much like I I like my life, right? Like otherwise, <laughs> I would make a diff I would make a different choice. Um, and right now, New York is good, but I think. I miss nature. That's the biggest thing I miss in my life. I miss a, a, a bigger connection to being in, in something a little bit more calm. Um, but that's not right now. That's uh, for the future. So, Let's talk a bit about that because I, I wanted to ask you, uh, this is one of the questions that I've prepared for you as well. We're, we're from the same heritage. We're from Scandinavia. Yeah. New York has a really different culture. There is not a lot of nature here and there is so fast paced and people here are different right? So how, what is your experience of being Scandinavian in New York? Mm. 
So I actually don't feel, when I'm in New York, I feel very Scandinavian. When I'm home in Denmark, I feel not very Scandinavian, yeah, right? So I get in many ways, mean. I don't feel like I fit in anywhere anymore. Um, I think the biggest thing that I'm taking with me and trying to implement in my life that's very Scandinavian is this ability to be in the now and not always be rushing to the next thing. Yeah. So I feel like really just looking at the small details and appreciating them mm-hmm. and, and treasuring the small parts of life. Yep. I think in my experience, the New York culture is a little bit more about if you're sitting at a nice dinner, everybody's focused on where you're going next, right? Like by the time you're not even done yet and the waiter has already, you know, pulled your plate away, whereas in Scandinavia, you could, you could sit and wait for your bill for like an hour, right? And you would just kind of sit and talk and have a good time. And, and there's not an expectation that you have to be in a 500 other places after dinner in mm-hmm. Copenhagen, right? So that's a, definitely the pace is very different. I also think how you talk about solidarity and how society is, is structured is very different here. Yes. And when I came here in my 20s, I loved it because I was 20 years old and I thought I was invincible and I would never die. And, uh, and you just go and you just go, do you, you, you. And every time you have a great idea, there's lots of support and people think it's amazing. Um, and they just want to help you. And mm-hmm. But it's always with an agenda, right? Most of the time it's because you mutually sort of open up doors for each other, right? Yeah. But I feel like there's always a sense of where are we going next? Yeah. Um, so that's definitely been, you know, been harder for me. I think when I've been in Denmark, people have always told me to calm down. Yeah. And so just like, why can't you just be happy with things the way they are? That's what my parents used to say to me. And I was just like, because it could be so much better. Yes. So for me, I have a little bit more of an American mindset when it comes to that. Um, but as I grow older and as we're talking about maybe getting a family at some point, I also see a lot of the value in, in the Scandinavian model because here you have no safety net. You just have yourself. Um, and I experienced that recently. I got quite sick in the beginning of this year. I picked up some parasite infection from a surf trip um, that caused some kind of microbiome issue. And I'm sort of just at the tail end of it now, but it almost put me down for two months where I couldn't do anything while they were trying to figure out what was wrong. It's no, no support, right? There's no financial support. You have to you support yourself. With doctors and healthcare, everything, everything is paid everything. for. You need to pay for that. If you, have, you need to have private insurance, right? But it's uh, you don't have like there's no safety net. Like in, for example, in Denmark, you yes. will probably go, and you will still get a salary, or mm. there will be some kind of support. There's no none of that here, mm-hmm. right? Like you only have what you built for yourself. Mm-hmm. It's a very different difference. I really I agree with that, and I'm and I also see it. Like I'm also in my twenties. Like I'm 25, and I also have dreamed about coming to New York because of the pace, the people, the energy, that whenever you go around the corner you meet someone and they're like i'm gonna be a fucking billionaire yeah and that's just like the energy i want you know the the pace but i also like scandinavia where we are able to actually sit down and talk and be like hey how are you you know being able to really talk with you because right here i feel like people don't really have the time to speak with you they're always like you're saying What's the next? What's next? What's next? And that could be nice for a period of time, but maybe not forever. So that's just my reflection, reflecting back to you. It was um, great when I came here. I came here when I was, what was I? Yeah, I was in my late 20s, or like, like right after I graduated, right? So, yeah. So, yeah, I relate to that. Yeah. It was awesome. And then slowly over the years, it's becoming a little bit more exhausting. Yeah. Um, now we live in Brooklyn, and there was a very real reason for that. Brooklyn is more residential. People move here to stay here longer term and have families. It's not like Manhattan where people are in and out in a couple of years, right? Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Like everything has its own setup. Mm-hmm. You just have to figure out what's the right thing for you at any given point in time. Mm-hmm. And I love it here. It gives a little bit more of a balance. You go to the craziness and then you come back home. 
And there is actually a lot of nature outside of New York. It's something like when you come here in your 20s, you have no clue about. But um, upstate, you can take a car within an hour or 45 minutes. You can be on two different beaches. You can be in the mountains hiking. You can be, it's, it's very, very nice. But you need to make a conscious effort to live that kind of life in New York. Yeah. You need to have a car, right? Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of people do. People who live further out have that. And they're out in nature almost every weekend. Mm -hmm. But it's not the kind of life you see when you move here in your 20s. No, no, no. 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 Anyways, enough about New York. Um, can you tell us about, you know, you have a lot of experience within both startups and consulting. You come from, yeah, from Scandinavia and up here. What's your best advice for other women who, who have big ambitions and, and want to, you know, take over the world? What should they do? What's your best advice? I think it's believe in yourself and, and be authentic to what you want to do. I think a lot of people are going to be telling you that you're insane or that what you're doing is not going to work. And, and that's fine, right? But if you really want to pioneer something, a thousand people randomly is not going to support you because you're pioneering a new idea, right? So that's what, if that's what you want to do as a founder, you have to stick with it because you just need one yes in a sea of no's to move on to the next thing. And yeah. I remember talking to one of the founders in, in Female Founder House in our network, and they've done incredibly well now. But she said, you know, it, she always says it takes, you know, a hundred no's to get a yes. So you just have to, you just have to have the grit. You have to continue and you have to stay, like stay in the power of yourself. And that I think, especially for women, can be very hard. Because I think a lot of the women I work with, they, they don't like rejection. And for some reason, a lot of the male founders I know, they just kind of shrug it off, right? Yeah. It's just like, ah, their problem. Next yeah. one, I'm awesome, right? Maybe, yeah, that's a good advice. Being better in tackling rejection. Yeah. Coming over rejection because there will always be rejection, especially in entrepreneurship. And it's not personal, right? Like it's, it's if you go, let's say you're a founder and you're going to pitch, It's almost like speed dating, right? You have to find the right investor that aligns with your vision that truly believes in you, where you have the right chemistry, where you fit into their portfolio, where the return is looking the way they want it. There's so many factors, right? Yes. Um, and it's, it's usually not that much about you. And by that, I'm not saying there's always something to learn. You can always take the feedback and improve your business model, your pitch and everything else you're working with. Yeah, yeah. But in the end, you're building the business you're building. So you need to find the people that want to get behind that. And that's sometimes, you know, it's really about doing your due diligence on who you're talking to and who you're pitching. Agree, 100%. Uh, what would you advise your 20-year-old self? I would say to myself to have a little bit more faith in the path. I think as I'm growing a little older, and now it makes me sound like I'm, I'm old, which I don't think I am, but, <laughs> but I do, I'm practicing. I, I led a lot with my masculine energy in my 20s, sort of going all the way up, so I was very... It was always about asserting and, co you know, forcing things to happen a certain way at a certain time because I had planned it out and that was what I thought it should look like. And what I'm learning a little bit more in my feminine energy is that sometimes putting the intention out and stepping back and creating the space, life will also unfold and give you the opportunity and show you which way you're supposed to go. Wow. So I think sometimes I've definitely in my younger years pushed myself with an assertive energy into a place that wasn't right for me. Yeah. Um, and just because I was obsessed with getting there. Yeah. Not because it was really the path that I that was yeah. good for me. Such a good so, advice. Yeah. Yeah. I think more people in their 20s should think about this. And um, yeah. Yeah. And then maybe also what really what what are you really passionate about? For yeah. me, and I think you talked about that as well. For me, having, you know, a red thread in 
staying true to what I believe in is right and, and my purpose and my passion is really important to me. And for me, I'm not so concerned about what people's passion is, but I think staying connected to it and asking yourself at maybe at an earlier age would be helpful because I certainly didn't really ask myself. So instead I spent the first part of my career chasing the things that objectively look great on my resume, right? So, and really not spending that much time concerning myself with whether or not that would make me happy. Exactly, exactly. Um, so the last question that I would like to ask you, uh, that I always ask all my guests, and that is, if you got $1 million right now, what would you do with them? If I had $1 million, so I'm working on a new idea. So, um, so I'm working on, what can you say, on a real estate concept, actually, that, um, that is, is around providing spaces for primarily female founders to find creativity and vision. So I would probably use that to incubate the first couple of places uh, where we would start doing that. Nice to create a physical female founder house. Yes. Wow, that's great. But a little bit different than what you've seen. Um, something that, you know, again, takes it in the immersive path of getting outside of your comfort zone and outside of New York. So getting to spaces that really gives you that space to figure out what you want to do and mm -hmm. what you're trying to build. Mm -hmm. And not just like a regular office building, something Definitely different. Not. Probably somewhere on the ocean side. Yeah. Ah. Excited to follow your journey. Uh, where can people find you if they want to check out your channels or yeah, yeah, of contact course. you? Um, I mean, I use LinkedIn a lot. Yeah. Right. And then if they want to get in touch with us via Female Founder House, we mostly spend our time on Instagram because yeah. that's where most of our founders are. Yeah. Uh, but that would be the two places where, where I'm easier to. I will with. link them down below. Awesome. And Christina, thank you so much for joining in on Business Talk. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Have a nice time. We see you in the next episode. Bye.